Hello and welcome to Feel No Shame, a podcast created to normalize conversations around the subject of suicide. The Feel No Shame podcast does not endorse or encourage suicidal behaviors or deliberate self-harm. Instead, we promote open and safe discussion around suicidal thoughts and feelings as well as how to manage them. If you are affected by anything we talk about on today's podcast and feel like you need somebody to speak to, please call the Samaritans any day, any time on 116-123. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email feelnoshamepod at gmail.com or follow Feel No Shame Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Take care and enjoy the episode. On today's episode, we speak to Holly, a mum of two who has lived through a severe episode of perinatal mental health difficulties. This resulted in input from secondary mental health services and time under the care of the mother and baby unit. After recovery, Holly wanted to use her experience to help families going through similar difficulties and now works as a peer support worker for perinatal mental health charity Bluebell Care Trust. She's also a great lover of mindfulness. We hope you enjoy listening to Holly as much as we did. On with the show. So hello, I'm Holly and um, yeah, I'm really honoured to be here um, doing this. I'm super nervous. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, this is a subject which is so important and really, um, it, it means quite a, quite a great deal to me and my family, I guess. Yeah, it's really nice to have you on here. And I think as soon as I um, started up the idea of this, you were one of the first people to get in touch and you offered as much help and support as you could possibly offer. So we're really appreciative of that. Yeah, thank, so of thank course, you very much. Yeah, of course, great. we're going to have you as the first ever guest. Because oh, we, know, wow. we know that you know your stuff. And um, and yeah, this, this podcast is about normalising suicidal thoughts. Um, but I think it's nice to have a topic night such a strange word to use in this context yeah. but it's nice to have a topic or like a focus for each episode so um so this episode is going to be based on perinatal mental health difficulties um which i know you know a lot about so um it's it's up to you how much you uh talk about and, and how far you go into it and if at any point you do want to back off just let al know or let me know yeah. and then we can always stop and then carry on from another point right. but um but otherwise over to you so I do have some questions but we can keep it quite flexible as well um and I'm torn between the first question because the, the first question is either so you can pick it's like a choose okay. your own adventure it's Ooh, either <laughs> it's either what led up to you experiencing perinatal mental health difficulties yourself were there any warning signs that's question a question b is can you describe what it felt like at the time and I'm torn because I don't know whether to ask you about the leader or about the event, so to speak, or if they can both be covered in the same question. But I'm going to hand it over to you because you'll know you'll know the best way to approach it. Okay, so I suppose in hindsight, which we all love a bit of hindsight, don't we? There were absolute um, warning signs and triggers, but I had never experienced any kind of ill mental health. So I'd had a fairly normal childhood let's say, you know, nothing, no kind of big, you know, big things to report there. And I was, you know, really lucky to have, have 
had a great education and and all right I kind of experienced anxiety and worry um because we do because that's normal um as is you know experiencing worry and anxiety in different times of your life but I think for me um I I was really poorly in uh, pregnancy not not with my well-being but physically so mm. I had something which you probably um, may have heard of may not uh, called hyperemesis gravidarum so a really severe form of morning sickness mm. and that started from kind of the very beginning when I first found out I was pregnant right up to the day I gave birth so I was vomiting up to sort of 15 16 times a day every day wow. um so really quite you know physically unwell which did have a massive impact on how I felt about the pregnancy um mm. you know I was I was really excited to be pregnant and it was the next sort of step in our journey um as a, as a couple me and my husband had planned to have children um, we were told it might be a bit difficult for us to have children you know um in the early stages but we didn't have to have any intervention or anything like that so when we felt pregnant we were overjoyed um so yeah so I I was I was physically really quite unwell and then I would be you know having moments where I, I wasn't leaving my bedroom so just confined within four walls going to the toilet being unwell coming back and I would think things like what have I done what why am I doing this to myself what and you know fleeting thoughts would kind of would pass through my mind and I feel super guilty about them because I knew I was really lucky to be pregnant but then in the same breath I kind of felt totally out of control and I didn't feel in control of my body and and that was quite frightening actually mm. um so I guess you know my pregnancy probably was one of the one of the factors leading up to kind of what happened postnatally um there were some big life events that happened leading up to me becoming pregnant so I graduated from uni um got married bought a house and fell pregnant all within 18 months so you oh. know big big life things like um, a bingo card really isn't oh, it absolutely like, yeah. <laughs> so so yeah like some really big big stuff which are all very stressful things but I kind of thrive off of of being busy and you know or I did um so so becoming pregnant was like the next part and then I was just completely unable to do anything so going from being busy 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 to having a lot of time just feeling physically awful and kind of yeah trapped within within my own body I guess mm, yeah, yeah you kind of you kind of go from all these positive events to something which should be um a really positive event as well but but someone has changed the script and you end up feeling awful um yeah. physically and then it has a mental toll on you as well so mm. so when did you kind of when did you first start noticing that it was something bigger than the the name of the morning sickness which i'm not even going to attempt to say <laughs> but when did when did you notice it became it, it was more than, than that and, and when did yeah. you sort of so my kind of I guess my main sort of presentation and the way it manifested happened sort of very quickly after I delivered my daughter so I had quite a, 
a traumatic birth. So again, that was kind of another trigger, I think, which mm-hmm. probably was the biggest thing around what sort of came from there. And again, it was that being out of control of my body. I didn't, um, I didn't feel that heard. If that does that make sense? You know, we all know what yeah. that means. Um, yeah. But in my labour, I guess it's the most vulnerable time. I I, I felt the most vulnerable in my whole life. Um, and I I was desperate for interventions to kind of help. And I just felt that I, I, I didn't really have a voice within within my experience of, of mm. giving birth. And I don't I don't think there's a blame there. I that's just how I felt. Yeah. And um after I delivered Darcy, I, I had to go straight in for surgery. So it that moment where they put the baby on top of you. And I had all these kind of visions of doves flying around my head, cherubs playing on the on the violin and harps, you know, that kind of rush of love. I I didn't get that. And and I think that's where I something sort of flipped or switched, I, I guess, in my mind. And it was that initial sense of guilt. Why don't I feel like this? Why why can't I? have that instant connection with my baby and she Mm. kind of got whisked off given to my husband um and I was whisked off within about 20 minutes of of delivering and I went down for for some big surgery so yeah that was kind of where it started I guess that's where I first noticed this kind of panic it was it was just sheer panic why am I not feeling these feelings that I've been told that I would experience Mm. And it's well, obviously, you'll have more experience of this than us, but it's it, it must be really scary when you feel like you want to speak up at that point whilst you're whilst you're on the birth journey. Um, but then you're a first time mother, you're young. I mean, you're probably what 21, 22, Holly, at the I'm moment. Just, so, <laughs> so back then, you, I don't know, but, <laughs> but at, at a young age, you're you're in amongst all these professionals and you. You kind of assume that they know best and, and they know what they're doing and and they do to some extent but it's your birth and it's your um, yeah. experience but it's really difficult to speak up at that point it's really difficult to say this doesn't feel right or I would prefer it if this happened or that happened and so yeah. you're almost at the mercy of them and and it sounds like it's very overwhelming it's very uh trapping um obviously their focus is on just get this baby out but for you yeah. it, it it almost mars the experience to some extent maybe mars is too strong a word but you don't get that rush of endorphins you don't get that that feeling you don't get that oxytocin hit um as much as you would have wanted and from that point on you sort of notice a change yeah and i think like you know i was young as i still am um (laughs) i i I was i was you know 23 and Mm. um i'd never really been to hospital so Mm -hmm. i've broken my arm when i was like nine but that whole environment of, of going into a hospital, the smell, the sound, that it's a really um, uh, stimulating environment. And I, was, I wasn't used to any of it. And my body was doing something it's never done before. So the whole experience for me just felt just that I didn't, it was really, um, really un, un. What's the word I'm looking for? It sounds, really it sounds just like someone painted a picture for you and everything that you were expecting from this picture 
didn't become a reality and that's from the immediate get-go potentially but the smells because we discussed this last episode about the the triggers of certain smells certain sights and sounds and when it doesn't come true that's mm. when that's when the brain starts to to, to flip and and uh, it, it's that initial panic as you said but yeah it it just riles me that we don't have these conversations as easy as the ones we do see on social media about it was a fantastic how, how was the birth mm. that's all i see how was the birth how was this oh it was magical and yeah it it, it should become and i think it is starting to become relevant but these conversations should be be, be now commonplace uh, and, yeah. and unfortunately they haven't been in the past but, yeah. yeah I think as well you know if if my and this was you know nine years ago and there's been so much change um within oh, the yeah. services and perinatal mm. mental health so much positive stuff has happened in the last sort of 10 years um but what I would say is I, my physical health was absolutely top priority, you know, checking my blood pressure, checking my bum, measuring me, going for the scans. But no one prepared me for the for how mentally difficult it was mm-hmm. gonna be. That conversation just didn't happen. And whether they just thought, you know, when I was going for my appointments, they might have just thought, oh, she's, you know, she's really unwell with hyperemesis gravidarum, but she's, um, but she's, you know, she's managing all right. And, And I wasn't really presenting as someone which was depressed or anxious. I was just feeling a bit crap because Mm. I was being sick so much. Um, And then I guess when it really got, you know, quite um, significantly worse was was very quickly after I I got home. Um, And I suppose we can talk about, I don't know, the, 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 the thoughts and feelings and it was it, because it was something I've never ever experienced before. It was so frightening, mm-hmm. um, and I felt trapped. I felt that I had this big secret that I could not tell anybody um, because the expectation was you're so lucky to have this healthy baby and mm. this lovely home and a lovely husband how, how dare you have these thoughts is yeah. that, you know? and that's how i that, that's yeah. how i felt and i think perhaps because i've not had any kind of real experience of of mental health like ill mental health or anxiety as such i mm. i i thought i was i i yeah i i just it wasn't me i didn't feel like me at all um yeah, and I, I was having some really dark, irrational thoughts and having those thoughts and not getting them out of your um, mind, body, because it's all connected. Um, it, it was, I felt, yeah, very trapped within my own head and my own body. Yeah, you almost go from, well, you're, you're constantly in the trauma zone. Uh, maybe from the start of the pregnancy, but certainly from the experience in the hospital. I mean, hospitals aren't the most calm places as they are. They can't be because of the nature of the work. But you hear all the all the noises, all the sirens going off outside, mm. machines beeping. When a machine starts beeping fast, what does that mean? Why are people running in and out? And there's no way you can be in the rest and digest mode there. Um, there's no way you can be calm enough and, and settled enough in yourself. So as soon as you enter into that trauma you're almost 
constantly traumatized from that point on. You're just in the red zone, in the trauma zone. Um, and like you said, there's this, you, you get home and it's a happy occasion and everyone is delighted because your daughter has been born. And you must feel like you're the only one not invited to the party at that moment. Absolutely. And you, you can't say to anyone, if, if someone says, wow, how are you feeling? You can't say, well, actually, I feel awful. Um, mm. I, I just feel like this is this is one of the worst points in my life. You, you mm. feel like you can't say that because it's not socially acceptable or people don't want to hear that. Mm. And as humans, we just come up with all these kind of reasons why we can't be honest with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll find a story that fits. And so we keep it in and just keep it to ourselves and it kind of bubbles away and festers away. Um, what were the reactions of of others around you like? I mean, it sounds like you did really well at keeping that secret, but, but did anybody yeah. have an inkling or did anybody react in a in a I positive think, way? Yeah, so it I think it was recognised probably by my mum. Um, I wasn't I wasn't able to breastfeed, so that was another thing. Um, so I had this expectation of you know sitting under the willow tree with my hair blowing in the wind, breastfeeding my baby, and more that just, yeah, more hearts, more doves. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And for me, it just, it wasn't working, and I persevered, and I persevered, and um, it got to a point I wasn't sleeping, so we'll get on to that bit next. Um, mm. so I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. I wasn't, um, I, I felt like a failure, because I wasn't able to do the basic thing that a mother should be able to do this is how I felt at the time yeah. um yeah I was just gonna dip in there just yeah. did you get pressure from any of the midwives at that point Ollie, or so no oh. no I, I I will say you know my midwife the midwives were really really supportive um yeah. there wasn't there was you know um a point in hospital where I was trying to feed and I it it felt quite um invasive um, and I don't it wasn't the fault of the, of the professional it was just I didn't feel comfortable in that situation and again I felt quite out of control um, but but yeah when I, I was tell, I was telling the um, health visitors and the midwives you know I I really want to breastfeed and they were really supportive and helping me but I and it, they really wanted to help me so they weren't pressuring me but they really wanted to help me um, but then we got to a point where we ended up in, um, so 11 days old, Darcy was, we ended up in the walk-in centre in Bristol because mm-hmm. she brought up some blood. So I'd been mm-hmm. feeding her myself and she brought up some blood. And I thought that there was something terribly wrong with her. And we went to the doctor, they examined her, they examined me and actually the blood had come from me. Um, and I will say I was, told to persevere by that um by that professional that night we, so, we had that we had that with our with our um, boy that yeah. was that, and, and it had come from from my yeah. wife so yeah. Um, yeah i know exactly how you feel about that with the panic and, <laughs> yeah and i think i didn't feel i was telling her that it was painful and that i was really struggling with it and, and she kind of just said you know just persevere you know it, it yeah. will get better and and i think you know and again, I I think that we all have our own sort of response to things and our own experience. So I would never say, you know, you know it's her fault or, you know, if she would have just said da, 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 because at the end of the day, it was what it is and we can't go back. But I think 
just in that moment, I really felt like if she's telling me I still need to do this and she can see how damaged I am, Mm. as in physically damaged um I need to do it and you know from there we went home and I just couldn't I just couldn't do it and my mum bless her she was like Holly you know I don't want to tell you what to do but why don't you just why don't you just give her a bottle and it was that sense of relief Mm. of oh my god I've just been waiting for someone to say this to me Mm um and So that was kind of good. That felt like a weight had been lifted. But unfortunately, um, I think things were bubbling away. And a couple of days later, I had my first sort of big crisis. I was having some really, uh, some really intrusive thoughts. And uh, I started to develop um, like uh, some OCD behaviours. And I'd have to hide certain objects in my house because I was frightened of what I was capable of um and I didn't realize that this was part of perinatal mental health I thought I was a really awful person to be having these sort of thoughts and I never wanted so my um a lot of people think postnatal depression you don't love your baby um and you can't bond with your baby for me it was almost the opposite I felt so protective of her I felt so um, terrified that something awful was going to happen to her that I even I had to protect her from from me and that was kind of I I, I completely lost myself in that mm. and it I it, it got to the point where I didn't feel I could be in my own home I couldn't be on my own with her um, I told I, I was googling these symptoms as you do probably not the most helpful thing although actually I found um, a website to a charity that were based up in Hull and um, there was like stories of different women on there and there was one woman and I could really resonate with what she was saying and I was like I need to speak to this woman and I became very obsessive so Mm. if I needed to get so I wanted to get help but I had to get the help that I needed so I was on the phone until this woman (laughs) picked up and that she was the only woman I wanted to speak to um and and we went and stayed with my mum and dad and and she she really helped me in validating what was going on so she was the first person that said okay yeah it sounds like you are experiencing some symptoms of perinatal mental health or at the time it was postnatal depression and I was like I'm not depressed I don't feel depressed I don't feel low I'm, I'm not crying I just I'm just scared. I'm scared all the time. And she was, she sort of explained it to me and said, you know, it'd be really, a really good idea for you to go and see a GP. Um, and I was a bit like, oh my God, if I tell the GP what was going on in my head, my mm. baby's going to be moved. Um, yeah. I was that, you know, and still to this day, this is the what we hear all the time from women is if they go and they say what they're feeling they're so frightened that their baby's going to get removed and that's just so awful because it's the furthest thing away from what would have happened yeah so we went to the GP um I me and my mum took me and we saw a locum GP so it wasn't my normal GP so they didn't really know me and they prescribed me some medication which I was so reluctant to take Um, and if someone had said to me look this is you know you're going to start taking this medication there's a possibility that you might actually feel worse before you feel better 
Um, I don't I don't think I would have ever sort of <laughs> believed them that I could feel any worse. And and I would have put some kind of support in place, maybe. But it was just the medication the medication was given to me. There was no sort of you know, it's, have this, come back in two weeks. And unfortunately, um, the the two weeks that, that I started taking them, I had my next sort of crisis, but it was a lot worse this time. So um, I wasn't able to sleep. I went five days with no sleep at all. And, you know, my mum would be like, just go up and have a lie down. I can watch the baby. Mike, bless him, was doing all of the night feeds. Whatever people, my family needed to do to to get me well they were doing but I just wasn't sleeping and at night the thoughts were more vivid and I I would almost disassociate so I didn't know who I was anymore um and the, there was an evening and I uh, everyone was asleep and I went downstairs and I was trying to book myself into um, our local psychiatric unit so I phoned the Samaritans and again I was kind of in this place where I was quite obsessive and I was I need to speak to a woman I need to speak to a woman and there wasn't a woman there that could speak to me on the on the helpline so I got really cross and um I was just thinking I, I can't sustain this I cannot do this so I went up woke my mum up and told her that you know I I need help right now and um the next day I was assessed at our local um psychiatric assessment unit so that was the first time you'd spoken to anyone about how you were feeling when you spoke to your mum. So um, I'd, they, I'd spoken to my mum and Mike about kind of that I was feeling anxious and I was having these weird thoughts, but yeah. I wouldn't ever go into the detail. Um, yeah. But it, that was, I think that was the first time my mum and Mike were like, oh, okay, this is really bad. Um, and it must have been super frightening for, for Mike as well, because he said, you know, he was looking at me and he just didn't know where I'd gone. It, it was like it just wasn't Holly anymore. And my mum was looking at her daughter and it wasn't her daughter anymore. And there was this little baby to look after. And this is something I always kind of think about. And I think I always remember thinking, I think I could probably do that, like do whatever, whatever, whatever. Let's get better, get help, not get help. But I've got a baby. This changes the dynamic. This mm. this really changes it. And there were times I could think rationally and I could think like that. And then there were times where I was so um, so unwell that didn't even sort of pass from my mind, which is you know really quite sad. Yeah, and, and we're three of the most trauma-informed cats on the block, I would say. And we know that dissociation um, is a normal response to an abnormal situation. So somebody yeah. who is very overwhelmed, somebody who has too much going on um, all at once will essentially check out as a protective device. It's, mm. it's like being in a car crash and imminently before the car hits yours, you're almost outside looking in. And the brain just does this to protect us. But at the, at the time, if you're not quite sure what's going on and... And I think I was going to ask you about this later, but I can bring it in now. The what I consider to be misrepresentation and misunderstanding of the general public and, and in the media of any kind of perinatal mental health difficulties. Yeah. And I, I, I suppose I'm focusing mainly on stories that I see online, perhaps or in newspapers, yeah. where all of the article is about the behaviour of usually the mother yeah. and the comments underneath and mm. Twitter comments. Bleh, 
but yeah. the Twitter replies would be, "This this woman is a monster. How could she do this?" Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And at no point does anybody consider the feelings and consider why that mother feels in such a desperate place mm. that that feels like an option. And I think you put it well. You you put it really, 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 really well, and um, it's helped me understand it a little bit more. That you almost felt like like you were the danger. And obviously you weren't, but you you convinced yourself at the time, yeah. or your your brain tricked you into feeling like you were the one who was at danger. And a mother a mother's instinct is to protect That's her. Exactly child. And if she feels say. like if she feels like she's the danger, yeah. she's gonna take herself out of the equation. And and it's all about just wanting to protect that baby mm. um, and feeling completely overwhelmed. And it's it's a perfect storm of of things happening all at once. Uh, but you asked for help, you reached out. And, yeah. um, and what happened next? So I had the most incredible health visitor um, and she came, so my mum phoned her and then um, and Mike obviously was, was involved and was there and um, she came to visit us at home and she got us an, an emergency appointment. It, uh, it, it's a psychiatric assessment unit in Bristol because we were living in mm. Bristol at the time and I I would have moments where I just felt really fine. <laughs> like, mm. why am I on my way to, to have a psychiatric assessment? What, you know, I, this is ridiculous. I don't need this. And then within the next 10 minutes, I was kind of like, just completely um, overwhelmed, feeling out of control again. Um, yeah, and we went, I went for this assessment and actually it, it was probably, oh, yeah, probably the, the worst, the worst but best day of my life. Um, mm. On my way there, I remember um, seeing a police car drive past, and my brain was like, "They're, they're coming to get me." And mm. it, it was kind of, it was, it, yeah, it was a really surreal thing. And I remember waiting in the waiting room at this, this assessment, and two guys were assessing me. Um, however, how, however, they were incredible and um I pro there's a lot of people I, I kind of say I owe my life to that person there's a lot of people I feel really sh like I owe my life to um but they were really kind and I and I didn't think I'd get emotional in that bit um they were really really kind and they listened to me and I felt heard and I didn't feel like I was a monster and um yeah, that was the first time I think I really felt hurt. Um, yeah. <laughs> Emotions are very welcome, and me and I will really probably are. join in. We'll join in with you at some point, I imagine. <laughs> it doesn't take a lot for me. Um, yeah. But it, I think the, mentioning the police car as well, it's that feeling, and, and we can bring suicidal feelings in here as well, it's that feeling like you'll get in trouble for mm. telling somebody how you'll feel, mm. and particularly as a new parent, if you tell somebody anything other than the script that you're supposed to say there's that feeling of well I'll get in trouble and I'll get punished and I think like you mentioned earlier and my child will be taken away from me and I don't know where that comes from that feeling but it's definitely universal I yeah. would say and so you meet with these nice guys who there's the apprehension beforehand because they're guys and because you're in in that that kind of panicked and worried state anyway but but then they hear you and they don't judge and they just want to help yeah. which must have been mind-blowing for you at the yeah, time absolutely and they 
I, I felt really validated by them. And although they weren't specialists in perinatal mental health, I will say this was like an emergency appointment because I couldn't be seen by anybody else. Um, they, they, they were specialists in their field and it, I saw this, this guy and, and they, they talked to me about what was happening. So, you know, okay, so let's talk about your medication and right. Okay. Yeah. So I think what we need to do here. And, it, and I just felt like, they completely got it on a different level. It was like they knew exactly what they were doing and I felt in good hands. Um, and they, you know, they were, um, they, I think it was them, I can't remember who it was, either them or the health visitor had done a referral to the mother and baby unit. So that is like the specialist, you know, the, the best place to be when you're, you know, really, really, really unwell. And um, he prescribed me some more medication, but this time he explained it. I felt really informed um, and I needed sleep. So, you know, this was the big thing. I really needed to sleep because I hadn't slept. And he was quite concerned about that. Um, and he, you know, I think everybody's on a different journey and people, some people find that medication is really helpful. Some people don't. In that moment, in that like crisis, for me, that was exactly what I needed. And I needed to mm. sleep and I needed, yeah. And, and that's exactly what happened. So went home, slept for 14 hours, <laughs> um, woke up a bit groggy, but you know, in a, diff, in a, in an almost, it wasn't like, um, it wasn't like I was better. It was like, right, we're on the right path. And although I still felt pretty awful, um, I thought, right, okay, we've got a plan, right? We know what's going on. I've actually got an illness, um, which is really common, which mm. is got a really good prognosis. <laughs> I'm gonna get better, but it's gonna take time, but I can I can actually do this. And I went up to the mother and baby unit at Southmead, um, and at the time they only had, I think it was four beds. Mm. um so because we were living with my parents they were supporting us so I couldn't go home I just it just wasn't for some reason I just couldn't be there at that time mm -hmm. um so they offered me um support as a day patient so I would go up there two or three times a week all the mm. way from Clutton down here into Southmead which was a bit of a trek but you know it, my parents got me there Mike got me there um I saw specialist perinatal doctor up there I got involved in some amazing therapeutic activities um, and it was this real holistic approach. So mm. it was kind of, yeah, the medication was needed at that time and and I needed that to be able to access the therapy. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, I think the, the turning point, so that I can remember, there's two turning points, sorry, am I babbling again? No, you babble away. No babbling. You... There's no babbling rule on the podcast. We would have chucked you off if we thought you were babbling. So, Are you wearing babbles? Yeah, get out. No, no. So I I remember like going there and it was it was, you know, it was so alien. So there were it was it was a psychiatric unit for mums and babies. Mm. So, you know, the the last thing that, that anybody wants to do is separate a mum and a baby. Um so these units are the most incredible places. And I was very, very lucky to have a really positive experience of, of psychiatric care. 
and I met some mums who were staying there as as inpatients as well um and got got to know them and, and what have you and, and there was one lady she was probably I'd say maybe two months further ahead in her journey than I was and her you know her journey was different mm. but she she sat with me and it was like you know like the first day at school and you just want to mate and you're just like someone just come and sit with me and talk to me and just like yeah because I felt just like oh god this is so weird and so new and I I'm here and it's it yeah it just felt really scary and anyway she came and sat with me and we were talking and um I just she was like oh you know it does get better and I was thinking at this point I, I was kind of going through these peaks and troughs of I'm just going to be like this forever and I was constantly looking for reassurance so I would ask Mike bless him probably twice an hour I am going to get better on I this is me for the rest of my life and and that reassurance and I was like a stuck record and um I remember and and all the doctors all the professionals the psychiatrists my mum Mike they could all say to me Holly you're going to get better everyone has said you're going to get better this isn't it and I sat with this woman and she was a bit further on her journey and she told me I was going to get better and she'd experienced some of the things that I was experiencing and, and that had alleviated and I believed her because she'd been through it and and all of a sudden it was like okay yeah I can be better I can be well I can enjoy my baby um and it was just speaking to someone who'd been through it who was coming to the end of their journey who was you know experiencing similar um, presentation a similar presentation to me uh, or that I had and yeah that was that for me that was like okay yeah I believe you I'm, I'm gonna get better and the woman that I spoke to from the charity who stayed in constant contact with me as a kind of peer supporter and she would phone me and I would talk to her about what was going on she went yeah remember it's this roller coaster that you're on at the moment and right now you know, we're at the peak and it'll come down, you'll have a few good days and then there'll be a bad day and it's very up and down. And I felt really reassured by the people who had been through it. Um, yeah. And although I had the most amazing professional care, you know, I am, you know, people with the, the, you know, all the letters after their names and they've studied for hundreds of years, incredible people in their field but it wasn't them that reassured me it was the the woman who'd been through it it's it's kind of like you guys are in the trenches and you've all been on the i hate war metaphors why did i use that <laughs> but it's it's like you've all been on the same you've been on the same training and it's the the worst possible training ever and you didn't sign up for it you didn't want to go on the training but you've all been on the same training course so you can all discuss mm -hmm. together and and i suppose there's always a bit of a um a gap between us common folk and professionals even if they have been through it they will rarely tell us that they've been through it because mm -hmm. of boundaries and because it's not always appropriate to do so so we kind of we separate ourselves naturally i think but it's almost what you're describing sounds a bit like the opposite wizard of oz where as soon as you look behind the curtain and you actually find that instead of some feeble guy who knows nothing there's knowledge and there are narratives which make sense and there are people who have experienced it before. Once all that comes together and once you're invited into that world, you start to, well, I suppose the recovery starts there because you start to see yourself as less um, 
ostracized and not so much as if this is just happening to you. It's never happened to anybody else in the whole world. You are deviant. You are abhorrent. You are the anomaly. It's mm. kind of like you're in this gang instead. And um, there's a good quote from a program, uh, Bojack Horseman. All we have in this terrifying world are the connections that we make. Something along those lines. Yeah. And I think that's that's one of the things that really helped you, just finding that you're not alone and that you're not what you thought you were. You are just an overwhelmed mother who is really trying her best and really trying to get better. And, and once you have that, that holistic approach and all that knowledge and all that experience coming at you, it, um, it makes it slightly more bearable. I was going to say easier then, but slightly more bearable is probably accurate. And, and you mentioned the roller coaster as well. So to anybody going through this um, or who has been through this, it, it will sound quite familiar where you'll have days well, maybe it starts off with hours to begin with where you feel okay and you feel like this is it. I've turned a corner and then you end up just turning so many corners. Yeah. You, you go back on yourself, you fall down a few times, you end up on the floor looking up and then you repeat and repeat and repeat. But gradually the the good times get longer and the bad times get shorter. Was was that what you experienced? Absolutely. And some someone said, keep it like a diary and and I, I use this now when I, in my kind of work and just use a colour or a number or a smiley face or whatever and just mark on your calendar the good days or the good half a day or the good hour and you'll notice that eventually those green smiley faces will start to outweigh and, and you're going to have red angry faces because you're human and we get those days and that's completely fine but this intense kind of experience it is going to mellow and it is going to get easier and you can having that kind of visual is, was always really quite helpful for me mm. and was there um was there anything else that helped you cope with the the really dark thoughts in the really dark days um anything yes. you haven't met so far yeah definitely so there was loads of like really good little techniques that people gave me so for me the, the kind of obsessive thoughts i i believe they were my well they were my thoughts but they i believe it was me it was mm. Oh, do you know get what you get what I'm saying, don't you? I, I thought it was you get what I mean. Totally. Um, and someone said to me, when you have those thoughts, just say, I am having the thought that say it out loud, say it in your head, say it to somebody. And every time I said it, it almost took the power away a little bit. In the beginning, I felt like I was confessing like this big, awful secret that I had. So I would mm. say, Oh, I've got one <laughs> go to my I've got one of those thoughts coming, I'm gonna to have to tell you. And she's like, all right. And and nothing really phased my mum. Um, bless her. She probably just put on this really brave face. And Mike, you know, both of them must have kind of, you know, had just this inner strength and they knew that I was gonna get better. So whatever I said, they didn't look shocked. They probably were screaming inside. But I would say, I need to tell you this thought I'm having. And and they knew that was what I needed to, mm. to almost, you know, take the power out of these thoughts. And, and that really helped. Um, I think the thing that I felt, it, it, there was, there was so I have, once the anxiety and the intrusive thoughts started to diminish, I went through a really dark, depressed stage, mm. um, which I was told was normal. So I was expecting it. Um, and I just couldn't access emotion and it was I and and 
you know, in the middle of all of this was my baby girl. And yeah. all mm-hmm. I wanted was to feel that rush of love that hadn't come yet. And I think we were about six weeks in and one of the uh, mental health, the, the um, psychiatric uh, mental health nurses said to me, we've got this group on a Thursday. And I think that you would really benefit from it. And I was thinking, oh, all right, okay, what is it? And, you know, I, I'm quite um, open to stuff, but she, she described this group and she said, so basically you come along with your baby and this is in the in the psychiatric hospital, and you um they put all the lights down, and there's a disco ball, and you've got material, and you can lights it around. And I always tell this story um, to when I'm do I sometimes I speak with professionals, and I, I tell this story because I was like, are you having a laugh? You're telling me <laughs> I'm going to be going in a room, lights and around a bit of chiffon with some sparkly light. And I'm going to, all of a sudden, this is like therapy, I'm going to be better. And they're like, just please give it a go. We think you would, you know, we really think it would be good for you. And there was this incredible, um, incredible, incredible art psychotherapist. And again, I owe a hell of a lot to her. And she ran this group and it was in this little room in in a hospital. So, you know, you're in a mother and baby unit, but it is a hospital. So, you know, there are reminders that you're in a hospital. Um, but she made this room like this little sanctuary and it was all dark and she had this disco ball and she had all this like colourful material and it was all soft and gentle and she knew exactly what she was doing so um, we had to hold our baby and walk around in a circle and it does like you can imagine it right literally I was rocking and walking around and rocking her and she put on this piece of music um, and it was um, the Goo Goo Dolls, Iris, and the words in that song, um, I was listening to and I was looking at her and there was the words um, said, I don't want the world to see me because I don't think that they'd understand um, uh, when everything's meant to be broken. I just want you to know who I am. And that was it. I wanted my baby to know that I was her mum and that I was going to keep her safe. And then all of a sudden the floodgates opened. I cried and I had that rush of love and the doves started to fly around. <laughs> um, they're, they're flying around in here right now. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen them as well. Yeah, yeah my, my floodgates are well and truly open by now. Yeah. And that was the, beautiful. For me, it was that was a big moment. And it was it was more than anything I could have imagined. And it was, you know, it was therapy, but it mm. wasn't the therapy that I expected I needed, you know, like it. But it, yeah, so that was amazing. And she was amazing. And yeah, just give anything a try. <laughs> so you found what you needed from those lyrics and you kind of got out of the therapy. You, you kind of figured it out yourself in that point. Um, you had a lot of support, but, but in that one moment, you felt like this is it. Like this is what I've been waiting for. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it, I kind of felt, I finally felt like, her mother um and not this kind of thing I, I i think i felt that i'd become someone that just wasn't me i felt just lots of really negative you know um thoughts and feelings about myself and that you know i wasn't i wasn't me anymore but in that moment i absolutely felt like me and how i how i wanted to feel for for so long and yeah it was yeah, it was it was pretty 
magical. And you mentioned with the with the dark thoughts, you found a really good way to distance yourself from them and to say, I am having the thought that. And I think so I, I'll use that in my work. I'll kind of suggest that to people as well, because if you say to somebody, I am suicidal, that's not true because I am Rowan. <laughs> you are not suicidal. You are Holly. You have a part that is suicidal, perhaps. You have um, you have a, a part that doesn't want to be here or doesn't feel like they can be here. Yeah. And I think that distancing ourselves from them, but not completely abandoning ourselves from them is really useful. And I like to use the the imagery or the metaphor of imagining it's like a scared child that comes up every so often and tugs on your sleeve and just mm -hmm. says, I'm really scared or I really don't want to be here anymore. Um, yeah. So we're all parents. We hopefully wouldn't just bat our kids away and say, go away, leave me alone. Yeah. Um, we would listen to them and we would want them to know that they are heard and we would want them to know that anything they say is OK with us. And and you mentioned it with your partner and, and your mum that they managed to to stay nonchalant and to stay calm. And I think mm. that was really useful, too, because if you were to say to them what you consider to be your darkest, deepest thoughts from that suicidal mm. part, for instance, and they were to react in abject horror or mm. panic or anything other than the nonchalance mm. and the calm and the gentleness. Yeah. the compassion then you would have run a mile and yeah. you would have either kept those feelings to yourself and never told anyone ever again yeah. um or or you would have become more panicked um mm. because of those thoughts you would have seen them as taboo yourself and seen them as a shameful thing so yeah. so separating your suicidal feelings putting them over there but still looking at them in the face and just saying what do you need like yeah. what are you trying to tell me here are you scared you seem scared yeah and just talking to them as if they're a, a, a worried child because mm -hmm. essentially they are they come yeah. from a really young part of us that that fears everything and yeah um, and in that one moment so you were listening to the song you felt like okay I know who I am now yeah. I've lost myself for the past few months mm -hmm. I know who I am again yeah and I think just interestingly when you were talking then about that kind of um around the suicidal thoughts I think there's a real difference we, we talk a lot about suicidal thoughts and and mm. you know I think we can come from a place where we feel quite confident in asking those questions because we understand them but sometimes someone might ask you are you feeling suicidal and you already know the reaction that they're going to give you before you even say well I've had you know I, I don't want to Feel like I really want to be here at the moment so you just and you know I think there's there there's times where I I think I probably felt like you know there's intention with this thought but mm. then there were times where I just felt I just want to curl up and go away until this is all over and there is a massive difference in that and I think sometimes people think there's, you know, it's one size fits all, a suicidal thought is, or you're gonna, you know, um, you feel suicidal. It's not, it's not as clear cut as that, you know, there's so many different variations. There's so, and I think, yeah, it's, take, it's taking that fear out of that question. So, yeah. you know, it, I, that someone's asked me that question before and I felt like, I know that when I answer this, they're going to look at me like, okay, so, um, you know, so have you made any plans, you know, and that's not really helpful um, in mm -hmm. that moment. And I think, you know, 
it's it is just knowing that those questions are okay but just be really mindful when you're asking those questions and and i listened to your um your podcast the, the, the first one you guys did the kind of intro the pilot and it's it's about the triggers you know and if you're asking somebody in a clinical space if they're feeling suicidal that might not necessarily be the best place to be asking someone if they're feeling suicidal um or the person that's asking them so you know and it's again it's about being trauma-informed and not everybody is trauma-informed but if if you've got a hit and yeah this is me getting deep now but if you've got a real problem or a, a, a you've, you've had a traumatic experience with a uh, this is something like I was watching one of your um, uh, little videos, row a, a guy with a beard. And if that person's asking you if you're feeling like, mm, not sure, I'm going to open up about that. And yeah, so just I feel really passionately about being able to ask those questions and in in a in a way where you know it's not it is a big deal, but it's not a big deal. You know, it's yeah. you know we're. I want to talk about this with you. I want to. I want you to feel safe to tell me that you're feeling this. I want to help you. It's all about the context. It's all about reading the room, yeah. and and usually the compassionate approach is better than the clinical approach. Um, in general, there are certain yeah. situations where I suppose the clinical approach just has to be prioritised. But yeah. I mean, we're all people. <laughs> Again, we're yeah. all people, and we can we can we can treat people like people. We can approach people like people. We can treat people like people. Yeah. Um, we're going to have to let you go soon, but but just before you do go, I was just wondering about advice you would give to other people who may be in similar situations, and also um, how your work comes into it. If you're okay to to mention yeah. that too. What I was going to just quickly just say though to Holly is that if you that, and and as as Rowan said, if you could go back to your your younger self, you know that mm -hmm. that you're only a couple of years you know, younger than that, um, but if you could go back to that 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 initial um holly um at that point you know and say it does get better do you think that young holly would would still believe you or that that's what that's how i i, I was just because you know how you had that conversation with the with with the men and women with the letters after their name and so on mm. it will get better it will get better but if you could go back to that holly and say it does get better do you think that, that younger Holly would still believe it? If it was this, yeah, if it was this Holly now, yeah. today, and I went back in a time machine, I would believe her. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just, you know, because you were saying that it does get better, it does get better. At that point in time, you, you didn't think it would, but it's amazing to see now you being as vibrant as, as you are, talking <laughs> about you. it, talking about it, talking about it. That is the one yeah. concept we need to have um it's been it's been marvelous just listening to you but yeah sorry um yeah um question again advice really. and work advice yeah so i got you know it i felt very when i became when i got well and i you know i sort of was like oh i need to do something with this because i knew how powerful it was speaking to that that lady in the on the telephone that had been through it but also the lady i met at the mother and baby unit and i I knew that some something I needed to do something with this, you know. I I felt that by going through this kind of intense vulnerability, something had come out of it, and I I had changed as a person. So I had changed. So I wouldn't say I was like a real judgy person before at all, um, but you know, 
might see a homeless person on the street and think, oh, just don't, please don't approach me, you know, before. Then I went through my experience and I kind of thought, you know what, actually that, that could, that's any, that's a person, that could be anybody. And so my thoughts kind of changed around my judgment. So, okay, where am I going with this? So yeah, so basically I got really passionate and I was like, right, I need to fundraise. I need to raise some money for this charity that really helped me. So did that first. Then I was like, oh, I, I want to like raise some more money. So did that. Then I met a girl, at the, two girls at the Mother and Baby Unit who are my best friends now. They're both got parents to my second baby and the, the best is most amazing people. And I think when you meet people when you're in that, if you can meet someone when you're in that kind of difficult place and build a relationship, that kind of is magic. So mm. anyway, so they're my friends and my, my friend, sorry, I'm babbling. One of my friends, her partner was kind of doing a little bit of work with Bluebell. So Bluebell is mm. a charity that support women um, perinatally with, with mental health, with their mental health. And he was involved in a project um, and it was making some animate, he was an animator and he was making some animations um, about perinatal mental health that was kind of funded through some projects with Bluebell. And they asked Mike, my husband, if he would be interested in, in telling his story from a, from a partner's perspective of, of kind of what happened. So we kind of got involved with Bluebell, like in, in that sort of sense of, of the, you know that that dynamic and then um we made this brilliant uh our mike made this uh, fantastic animation and it's all about kind of the experience for the husband or the partner going through everything um and so that was great and then i didn't quite feel ready at that point to be a peer supporter or to, to open myself mm. up and um, I didn't I still felt quite vulnerable and quite close to my experience so that was maybe like three or four years on but I was still really interested in perinatal mental health and I was I was kind of advocating it so you know I would people might I was asked to kind of do a few little talks about my experience and I was kind of getting involved in that way and then an opportunity came up um in Baines so some funding came up in Baines and I went for for the job so this was after I had my second baby which I was fine so after I had Rex I was really well um there was a lot of interventions in place I knew what you know to expect I knew where to go so I was kind of really well I was well armed you know and um yeah so Rex turned two I think it was and then I went for this job and it yeah, the best job in the world. <laughs> so I I think, you know, when you've been through something quite difficult um, and you can empathise with somebody um, completely 100%, you know, everyone, everyone's story is very different and people experience perinatal mental health for lots of different reasons. Um, past trauma is like a big one, a, a, you know, a big sort of factor in that. Um, and although I might not have the same history as somebody that I'm working with or, you know, we've had a different upbringing or whatever, the fact remains I'm trying to kind of listen to somebody, I'm listening to somebody who is dealing with all of this stuff and they've got a baby and 
a life and they're a person and they're scared and for me in that moment I needed someone to listen to me and I needed somebody to say do you know what this is going to get better and I'm here I'm here to listen and I'm here to you know I'm, I'm just here and that's that's what I needed and and if I can do that and if it helps one person, I, it feels that everything I went through was kind of worth it because the magic that happened in that moment for me, when someone said to me, do you know what, you're going to get better. I felt, I remember feeling like that. Yeah. That was like, you know, I would have taken that over a million pounds and I'm not even lying. That's true. <laughs> so yeah, so I love my job and I feel very privileged to be in a position that I can just listen your your service users or the people that you see are, are very very privileged to hear from you as well this is a person who has experienced post-traumatic growth and who's using <laughs> that that experience to to help others and um it seems like the bullet point take-homes in terms of advice are don't keep it to yourself find somebody or some people who will listen and make sure that you feel listened to or move on to somebody else if you can um eventually no it does get better yeah know that it definitely can get better and it will get better mm. yeah Absolutely. brilliant what a lovely story it no it really was and it it's been a pleasure listening to you is uh, so i've listened you know and it's it's been it's been a fantastic insight into something that uh and and quite you know quite rightly so i i don't want to experience it you know or i don't want to see it but listening to it it gives it gives the gravitas to know that it it can be dealt with and it can be understood and it, it it's it's a it's a beautiful story that you know i i don't want it to just fall at the wayside holly i think it needs to be repeated and repeated so thank again thank you very much for coming on the podcast we really do appreciate it can i just say one last thing sorry go for it no go for it <laughs> just to say for anyone that's listening and if they're thinking of having a baby or they've just had a baby or they're pregnant remember that we're most vulnerable in the perinatal period so if you're ever going to experience kind of feeling anxious or worried or it's all valid and just speak to your health visitor or your midwife about it because there is a lot of help out there and there are people that you know that really know what you're going through and can and can just listen and validate it and you know there is so much help out there if you if you just say the words i need help then you know there are people there to help and there is no shame in that good plug very good, very good. thank you very much holly um we'd love to have you back one day as well because i'm sure that there's loads more we can go into as well um but thank you so much for coming on this little old podcast of ours and um all the best take care Thank you. And thank you so much for letting me be involved. I feel really privileged. Oh, we want you back on again, I think. I think if any, can, can anyone, um, before we actually sign off, can anyone contact you or directly as uh, within your profession? Uh, are there contacts for yourself though, Holly? Yeah, so um, it wouldn't be directly to me. So Bluebell, um, yeah, Bluebell, we cover Bristol, South Gloucestershire, Baines, North Somerset and Devon. There's a website, www.bluebellcare.org, and there's a referral. So you can self-refer if you want to. Um, or if you speak to your, if you live in any of those areas and you speak to your midwife, health visitor, GP, they know who we are and they will complete a referral um, if, if, 
needs be. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Just, and as a disclaimer, if anyone listening doesn't live in those areas, as you've rightly said, the health practitioners and midwives will point you in the right direction to the designated areas where you live. But no, yeah. I, I, I'm so glad you mentioned Bluebells. That's brilliant. And there's just one more thing. Sorry. There, there's a project called the Hearts of Mind Partnership, which covers um, the whole of the, the whole sort of all the areas. And they are um, supporting grassroots um, organisations to come together and support each other. So there, there will be some support in your area. That is fantastic. I love it. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, any other business, Al? Have you got anything to, to close on? I can tell you I feel very warm in a good way after having this conversation. Yeah. I, and I, I haven't even got the heating on and I do feel warm. <laughs> as well. no, 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 but it's literally mirroring what Rona said. I, I feel positive about knowing that you've been through it and you've come out the other end. Um, and it, it's just warming to hear what you've had to say, Holly, tonight. So, yeah, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm, and, and I'm now off to watch Stranger Things. So, um, yeah, uh, science fiction. Yeah. yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Holly. The Feel No Shame podcast received the following piece of writing by somebody who wishes to remain anonymous. It's about their own experiences of postnatal depression, what it felt like at the time, what they went through, and where they're at with it now. It's kindly being read to us by an actor. A few years ago, on a Friday night, I was under the care of the community mental health team at a psychiatric hospital, awaiting the on-call psychiatrist. I'd never been more terrified in my life. My baby was only a week old, and I was convinced he was going to be taken away from me. Postnatal depression is such a cruel illness, and I am still angry and bitter that it robbed me of the first few weeks of having a newborn. I have little memory of that time now, aside from having never felt so vulnerable in all my life, accompanied by the most intense sense of fear and lack of control. I have to rely on photos to remind me how small my baby once was. It's hard enough being a first-time parent without PND, but add that into the mix and my whole world fell apart. I still have a community psychiatric nurse and I still take med medication, but I'm also really proud of how far we've come. Back then, I couldn't look into the future. I didn't believe anyone who told me that I would reach a point where I felt in control again and could actually enjoy my life. It was entirely inconceivable to me then. I could not have come this far without the unwavering support of so many of my friends and family. We aren't home and dry just yet, but where we are now is unrecognisable from where we were exactly a year ago today. I was staggered by the number of friends who confided in me that they too had fought PND, and I know there are many still out there fighting that fight. I don't expect you to believe me when I say that it will get better. I never would have believed anyone a year ago, but I would just say to take it one day at a time and stop having unrealistically high expectations of yourself because, mummies and daddies, you're doing just fine and you will get there. It does get easier. Thank you to each and every one of you who loved me when I wasn't easy to love, supported me and inspired me. I love you. The Feel No Shame podcast would like to extend their thanks again to Holly for speaking to us about all things perinatal mental health. 
Her story was inspirational and she's proof that somebody can come from the depths of despair and against all odds and against what their mind is telling them, get to a position where, although they can't take away the bad things that happened, they can move forward and show that post-traumatic growth is possible. If you live in one of the areas which Holly mentioned on the podcast and you'd like to get in touch with Bluebell, please call 0117-922-0746 or email info at bluebellcare.org. Other organisations are available if you're outside of those areas. We'd also like to thank Simon Martindale for his wonderful, lovely review online. Um, we massively appreciate the, the feedback, positive and constructive, uh, but that review was, was really nice to read. It was very, very heartwarming and just encourages us to do more of these and to try and get them better and to try and include as many people as we can. So thank you very much, Simon. If you'd like to get in touch with us to be involved in the podcast or to give us feedback, it's never too late. Please email feelnoshamepod at gmail.com or contact us through our social media pages by searching for Feel No Shame Pod. The next episode will be coming out soon and we hope to have you come back and listen to it. Thank you very much. Take care. We'll see you again. listening to this episode of feel no shame we hope you enjoyed it and remember if you feel like you need to speak to anybody after listening to this podcast or at any time any day please call the samaritans on 116 123 alternatively please check out the other support services that we recommend at the end of our youtube videos music is by adobe i've been rowan long with alan oldersley burn thank you for listening and join us next time for more of the same